0: Audio Podcast Network. change, the courage to change the things I can, and the sass to tell all the haters to go to hell. Welcome to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where we whine about some badass babes that you definitely should have heard of. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And welcome. This is our second Pride Month episode now. It is. Right? Yeah. I am very excited to talk about my woman, Uh, not because she's entirely the best, but because it's a it's a interesting part of like Pride Month history. I'm very excited about my woman. I'm I'm glad you were you were looking up a lot of pronunciations before we started,
1: so that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> one. I looked up one pronunciation.
0: No, it it was like two. Cause there was there was the word and then the word a part of it. I never actually looked that up, though. <laughs> we're just going to assume it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: good. We're good. It's fine. Oh, if oh we're wrong, God. someone can correct us.
0: Man, it is such a beautiful summer day out. We have been getting hit with a lot of heat, which I am personally a huge fan of, despite the fact it's that been my been air conditioning in my car doesn't work.
1: It's been too hot. I, I'm see, sorry, like 100, 100 degrees?
0: It was is- not 100 degrees. It was like 99 drama queen
1: (laughs) for sure at some point it hit 90 or 100 degrees you know your
0: hyperbole is not accepted here I do not I do not accept your hyperbole and I have the courage to change that oh
1: I know (laughs) I was very I was like why are we doing the serenity prayer yes I don't know I just I thought it'd be funny (laughs) <laughs> it was just funny because I'm taking an addictions class. So I was like,
0: oh, oh it's all coming full circle. It is. It's full wine circle. Ring of wine.
1: What is that ring song? Of wine, yeah. Ring of fire.
0: Yeah. How does it go without us getting sued?
1: And it diving burns, into, burns, burns the ring of fire.
0: Diving into a wet ring of wine. Yeah. And it. Burns, burns, burns that ring of wine as the tannins give me a headache. Mm. <laughs> I've become such a pussy since I turned 30 with wine and alcohol you in buy general. You
1: stuff. Like there's stuff you can buy that you drop into your wine that supposedly does something to the tannins.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you get less, you get fewer headaches. Mm. And I'm like, ugh, I don't want to have to like medicate my wine to make it drinkable for me just because I'm, I'm not even old. That is the worst part. You know what happened to me the other day? I was buying spray paint at the hardware store, and you have to be 18 or older to buy that shit. Guess whose 30 year old ass got carded? What, what? I'm gonna live forever. (laughs) Yes, yes, you are. No wrinkles on my face. Gray hair can suck a dick now. I don't
1: wanna think about gray hair.
0: (laughs) Uh, I dated a guy who at like 16 years old was already turning gray. Hmm. But I think that That's was... Be a
1: genetic thing. Yeah, also
0: he was a huge piece of shit and I think his just rotten soul was bleeding through the roots of his hair.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if by the time I finish grad school I have some gray hair.
0: You know what though? it It's like Obama. <sighs> like two weeks into his presidency that dude turned like completely gray and we were all like, dude, I get it. I bet.
1: It's so like, bad if you look at like pictures from when he started and when he ended I'm like you aged so much.
0: Well and it's it's not even like I'm being critical because aging is a normal natural process but I'm just like god you were under so much stress and I feel bad for you.
1: Yeah. Too bad you
0: just couldn't like go golfing all the damn time.
1: Like someone.
0: (laughs) Too bad you don't wear a like yellow straw hair wig.
1: (laughs) Right like that's that's how you do it is. Yeah, just spray tan and wear fake hair. Well, because here's and the then thing. No
0: one will know. Here's the thing. If you really commit to looking tacky, no one's going to be talking about how old you look. They're just going to be talking about how tacky you look. Right. It's called a diversion. It's like what magicians use. You know, they draw your attention away from what they're actually but I mean, doing.
1: You can see it in like other presidents too. Like if you look at um Bill Clinton, that happened to him too, that he was. He was, like, semi-gray when he started, and then his hair was, like, white by the end of his presidency. Well, you know. Richard Nixon aged real bad. Being a sexual
0: predator only relaxes you so much. Yeah, I was going to say, if you
1: think about it, like, a lot of the other presidents that went, like, severely gray, because, like, Nixon, he was terrible. Yep um Clinton not great. Like Obama no, was sucked. the only one that like he had a really hard presidency but in my opinion was actually like a good
0: president. I I was going to say he he didn't rape anyone, he didn't steal anything. I I like I don't know. I'm just like right? like there was no major scandal. Well, I mean. I, re, no, okay. Here's the thing though. Let's do some myth busting. That khaki suit fucking scandalous. Who the right. fuck? Where's a khaki suit that's just asking for the commies to come and fuck us in the asses? God. Seriously, I'm like, bring back the days of khaki suits, man, being a big fucking deal.
1: I hate khaki. Just in general, I hate. I hate it's because I worked at I worked at a place where you had to wear khaki. That's actually
0: why Kelly didn't vote for Obama the second time. No, I'm kidding.
1: Actually, I didn't vote for him the first time because we were like three months too young to vote oh, for that's him. That's right. That's right. I don't know why I always think I vote for Obama twice.
0: Nope, I think it's because, because
1: we would have. Yeah, I think it's because I was I was I was rooting for him. I was
0: right. uh, putting that positive energy out there. Right. <laughs>
1: I'm like, yes, we can. Yes, we did. I was so mad about that. I was like, why am I? Like, you know, because it was in November and I was like, "Mm, it was just the beginning of next year. I know. I
0: know. Because my birthday was in February. Yours was in March. March. I'm like, I want to vote in this historic election. I mean, the next one was still historic in its own right. Why couldn't I
1: have been born one year earlier? Because then we'd be
0: 31 and then we wouldn't even be able to look at wine without it giving us a headache.
1: I mean, I don't have that problem. You know what? Just rub it in my face. It's I get that, it's it, that month age difference. I get it. You're
0: almost a month younger than me. Jesus
1: Christ. <laughs> Speaking of wine, yeah. What are we drinking today? Today we are drinking uh, a Chalone, which is the brand, Chardonnay, a 2019, and it's called Meat Cute. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> I thought that's what you said. No, Shalom, Chalone. C H oh, A L O N E. Okay. And so it says. Ready to get swept off your feet? Meet your match in this timeless chalon Chardonnay with notes of mango, pineapple, and lemon curd. It's love at first sip. Ooh, that's hot. I like it. I also like the idea that I could
0: totally have a fulfilling relationship with this bottle of wine. Oh, yeah. And you guys will see the post on uh, our social media, but this is a hot bottle of wine. Like right? I want, I, I don't know if I want to be the woman on the bottle of the wine or if I want to like be with her. It's a little bit of both. You know You know how like warriors used to like eat the heart of their victims to gain their power? I'm like, if
1: I sleep with her, can I gain some of her elegance? Right. <laughs> I'm trying to see if they say on their website, like if it's an actual like person.
0: I was going to say she kind of looks like every 20s bombshell because she's got like the little crimped bob the very devastating lipstick it's all
1: in black and white just well and meet cute is actually the brand name oh. so it's the same woman on every bottle okay yeah, it doesn't say anywhere it's almost just be like
0: that's okay she can be my generalcy because then i can never actually meet her and then ruin the image of her that i have built up they say never meet your heroes or your potential it's sexual partners it's true
1: yeah so let's cheers to nice
0: weather Cheers to nice weather and cheers to pride. Cheers to cheers. pride. This is not the worst chardonnay I've ever had. This is probably I I'm not a chardonnay fan. I I fell way too far from my mother's tree, uh, but this is actually pretty good. Yeah, no, it, it
1: I actually really like it. The, it's a, it's
0: wet. <laughs> it's yes. a wet wine.
1: Um, the the fruity notes are a lot like subtler than I would have thought. Mm-hmm. But it's good. See, they're a little stronger than I would have thought because no. I feel
0: like with Chardonnay, they're like, oh, they're all these like beautiful fruity notes, and then I take a sip of it, and I'm like, this just tastes like I'm drinking sand.
1: That's funny. That, it's that's so dry. That's how I feel about like red wines. That they're always like these are all the flavors, and I'm like, no, it just tastes like communion. Oh, uh, see, I, I,
0: I'm, I'm digging on red wines. It's funny though because I'm getting
1: more into red wines. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, it's because I'm almost a month older than you, so my palate is just that much more mature. Yeah,
1: you're just that much more sophisticated.
0: <laughs> it's funny, because I, I used to not be super into red wines. I got really into them, and lately, I don't want to drink them at all. I just want, like, that fruity, alcoholic it's, juice it's wine. It's summer. It's because it's summer. So I went canoeing with my friend, Jory. What's up, Jory? She's the one that suggested uh, Olga of Kiev and brought us that saintly magic. And she brought with her these uh these cans of crap 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 margaritas so like Hmm. margaritas in a can and I open one up and I'm like we're on the river we're canoeing it's hot we just brought like wine coolers like nothing too serious no hard liquor um I crack the the can open and I'm just overcome with the stench of tequila and I'm like What I mean, yeah, something that comes in a can should not be this powerful. And it was like 12 percent ABV. And it was like, oh, "Oh my God. So I had one and we're canoeing and we're we're getting a little rowdy. And like, luckily, there was no one else around us. But I was like, let me tell you what I look for in a vibrator. okay, (sighs) like. These really sleek ones uh, have no flex. Like, fuck that. It's like, I'm fed, you know? Oh and I, like, God, I suddenly right. realized, oh my God, I'm halfway through this can and I am fucking drunk.
1: <laughs> like- I feel like that's happened when we've, done tubing before where yes. we're like oh this it's it's gonna be nothing and then like yeah we're like by the end we're like on our ass yes
0: oh I I literally had a can of that and then a Mike's hard lemonade because I was like well I don't want to be done drinking but I don't want to have another one of those because I will probably just like curl up
1: at the bottom of the canoe and die. <laughs> right. you'll just be done for the day oh
0: it was so much fun and it was great because my heat and sun induced headache didn't kick in until I got home and was able to curl up in bed and then I was able to curl up and die so that was great good
1: good I'm glad yeah
0: but yeah I'm just it's summer I'm into like that really fruity shit
1: yeah I bought like when I went camping. Last week, two, whenever I went camping, two weeks ago, um, yeah, I bought more of that, like, sun pop mm. stuff, and it was so good. God. So God good. bless
0: sun pop, man. Target, man. God it's bless Target. Shit. All right. um, You are going first today, my dear. I am. I'm All very right. excited. So yes. I'm,
1: this, this came to me via one of my cohort A members dream. named Beth. So thanks, Beth. What's up, Beth? Beth is the best. Yeah, she is. She's great. Um, so I am covering today Toto Koopman. I love that
0: name. Right. I. It tells a story to me. I. I don't know. It's just. It's feels descriptive and like there are a bunch of references, but I can't quite pin it down. It's a name with a lot of character, and I'm into it. Right. It's Dorothy. Unfortunately, they're Toto, never we're not going in Kansas to, anymore. Unfortunately, they're never going to find their name on a magnet at a tourist trap
1: mm-hmm.
0: i always found i my never name find mine
1: shit. not spelled correctly not anyways. spelled
0: correctly it's so funny because some of the names they have now it's just like who that's a name oh yeah what like i i have a friend from high school who named her daughter Nevea. i guess it means heaven in hebrew i know someone that has a daughter named that's Nevaeh. actually i was like oh what a unique name and now i've met like eighty thousand 000 Nevaehas, and i'm like this is our generation having kids, we're all trying to like, we all grew up with very basic names, Emily, Kelly, Beth, no offense, Beth, but now everyone's trying to be all fancy, but in trying to be fancy, they're creating yeah, the they're new all Jameses the same. Exactly. and Kelly's and Emily's. Like, nevea H, nevea H, are you here? Okay, Nevea C, Nevea C. That's not alphabetical order. No. I couldn't think of what comes after age. But
1: yeah, like, because I, I, the girl I met that has a daughter named Nevea, like, she would be older now because I met her when I first, like, moved to Rochester and I worked at Charter. But yeah, she's, like, our age. And yeah, that was the first person I met with a daughter named Nevea, But you're right. Like, I know a lot of other people now. I'm yeah. Like, hmm.
0: like, Aiden is the new John. Oh, 100%. Or James. Yep. And then Ava and Eva are the new, like, Sally's and Courtney's.
1: Very interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Back to Toto. <laughs> we have not even begun. So Toto wasn't actually that's not that's like her nickname. So she was born Katharina Koopman. Ooh. Um, on the island of Java in nineteen oh eight.
0: We're going back
1: to Java. <gasps> now I want coffee. She had coffee this morning. I did too, but I want more. <laughs> I want like steam fancy coffee. Oh god,
0: I want some steam.
1: <laughs> it was very
0: sexual. Oh, that's well, because Steve makes me feel very sexual. I know. I won't. It's all They, they need to be on
1: like DoorDash or something because I don't feel like going all the way downtown to go get it. This is true. You live like so much closer than I do. I do, but
0: if I didn't have to leave it's my house at all, now. that would be even better.
1: So, Katharina or Toto, I'm going to refer to her as Toto, was born to a half, half Indonesian mother and a Dutch father. Indonesia at this time, even though it had been colonized about three centuries earlier, was still like super rampant with prejudice and hostility, and they were very against like biracial inhabitants. Yeah, it's a thing. Wait, are you saying even though it was colonized, this was a problem? That's what colonization does, though. (laughs) I think it's because three centuries. Oh, oh, I see. Like it had been a while and they still have issues. Okay,
0: yeah, well colonization man it's a fucking bitch
1: right so she her mother and her brother were all um called green dutchmen which is an offensive term at least back then because of the color of their skin, because they were all biracial wow i didn't even know green was like a option yeah i don't know
0: Um, racism is so stupid and lazy
1: yeah She, Toto remained super proud of her heritage, like, throughout her life, though, and would speak openly of it, of society, um, even though that, that form of progressivism wouldn't catch up to her for a long time. And even though, you know, her family was kind of on the outskirts, she actually still grew up really wealthy. They had pet kangaroos and elephants, servants and nannies. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Apparently, we all need to go to Indonesia. Dude! They so have like, kangaroos in Indonesia? Apparently, they I don't know. It said that? that she had a pet kangaroo. That
0: is, oh my God. Her and Josephine Baker need to hook up. So
1: like her family was still like wealthy and she had like a, uh, she was brought up in like a, a well-to-do family. She attended a prestigious boarding school in the Netherlands. Um, it was cl- called Lomendal. <laughs> yep. There is no way
0: anyone called them weird, nasty nicknames.
1: And that could be an incorrect pronunciation. Cause it's, no, no, that okay. is the only
0: pronunciation I will accept.
1: She excelled at languages there. By the time she graduated, she could speak Italian, German, French, English, and Dutch fluently. God, I can barely speak English. Uh, she also was starting to learn Turkish, but hadn't, wasn't quite fluent in it yet. Fucking loser, <laughs> like, right? Good grief, that is insane. So since she was a wealth from a wealthy family, it was expected of her to attend finishing school in England. However, when she was 19, so about the time that she was supposed to be doing that, she didn't really want to fit into that mold anymore. And she decided to run off to Paris instead. Atta a girl. She ran off to Paris, particularly because she hoped to become financially independent. She didn't want, you know, to like live under her family's shadow anymore. She was very petite. She had like the high cheekbones. She kind of actually looked similar to the person on the bottle. Oh, my God. Um, she had like the really pouty lips. Like she it, very much the look that was really in in the 1920s and 30s. Like that whole like elegant flapper. Oh, yeah. Um. So she very quickly found work as a model. Uh. This really upset her family. Like her family was not happy because at this time modeling was considered one step above prostitution because you're selling your body, but you're selling your body's image, not your actual body, but it was still highly frowned upon. Well, it's
0: like, um, especially well to
1: do families
0: acting had that same stigma where it's like, oh, if you're an actor, you're basically a sex worker. And it's like, you do realize they involve entirely different skill sets. I mean, I get you're still pretending like, yes, this is the best sex I've ever had. You're great. Like, there's acting involved in both but right very different
1: venues. Yeah. <laughs> like so her family was very unsupportive but Toto really didn't want to follow the life expected to of her, you know. That was the time that she was expected to marry, have children, be a homemaker, you know. She was supposed to be like a kept woman and she was like no, I want I want my that's own That's not life. what I want. Yeah. And so Paris Loved her, and she loved Paris, and she soon actually began exclusively modeling for Vogue to the point where she became the magazine's first biracial cover model. Dang! Yep. She would go on to become Chanel's house model, Um but she left after six months saying Chanel was, Chanel was a bully. As in Coco Chanel? Yeah. So-, so it's interesting. There's a book called Toto and Coco, and it's about these two and how... Because they were both openly bisexual, Mm -hmm. and it's about how when World War II hit, they took completely different paths, but they knew each other, and they were actually really good friends. So yeah, it's very interesting.
0: You know what's interesting? There is a podcast that I'm a big fan of called What a Creep, and in every episode, they profile you know, as they call it, creeps, jerks, losers, and assholes. Mm -hmm. So it's like a whole, just the whole rainbow of creeps. And there is an episode about Coco Chanel that I have not gotten to. And I was like, oh no, like I didn't know she was a creep. Like what did she do? Toto's on
1: record of calling Chanel a bully. And now I'm kind of like, oh yeah. Right. (laughs) She would also go on to model for other famous designers such as Madeline Vinat, Marcel Rochas and Main Boucher, which I don't know any of those. Um, she was charismatic, and as I said, she was very skinny. She had that very like flapper body, um, and so she was absolutely loved by these designers. Like she was exactly what they were looking for, and she would. Not only would would she model for them, but she actually liked to participate in every aspect of helping them create these catalogs. So she would actually give them input on, like, their designs and how it would, like, look on models and stuff. So it was really cool. Like, there's a term called being, like, a jockey in the modeling, or at least back then. And it was, what that is, is it's wearing their clothes out in society. Like, so you're... It's essentially like brand oh, it's like repping. Like who,
0: are, who are you wearing? Exactly. It's, it's like, like it going to a bar jockeying back then, ordering like a really expensive vodka and being like, right. Cloud vodka is the only vodka that sexy women like me drink. Right. Buy me some and, and drink it. And this
1: wasn't just like going to balls. That was part of it, but it was like going to balls, going to the racetrack, going to the operators, going out in everyday society. It mm-hmm. was, you know, I'm, I'm known as a model and yeah, these are the people that I'm going to wear. Yep. So that's what it was called. But and she said, and I love this quote. "Quote: One dressed up not to please men, but to astound the other women." Ooh. So I like that.
0: Can I also say I looked up pictures of her cuz I'm like I need to envision this she's woman. Gorgeous. The first two pictures of her, her eyes are kind of like half open and she's got this like little lazy smirk kind of very much like I know I'm better than you.
1: So and there's I'm perfectly
0: comfortable with that fact. Like there's I an love it
1: image. And it's like, it's a red background. It says Vogue. And she has like a little red hat. That's her. Vogue I see that cover girl photo. The oh one yeah. That's she the looks super like,
0: model. Oh, what am I stunning? I didn't even notice. Yeah. Like just effortlessly cool. No, she's, Beautiful. Oh my God, I love it. But also, she's just got this attitude that I'm very. Yeah. She, she looks super with.
1: sassy in like all of her photos, and yeah. it's great. So obviously, once again, Toto was running in high society circles. Different when she, than she when she was growing up. You know, she's not some like aristocrats or whatever. Her, I never actually looked into what her parents were, but you know, she's just not. She's not a well-to-do girl anymore. Like she's a woman of her own means. She's modeling. Like she's this really impressive woman. And she was known for her charm and mystique. And she had, like, a really sharp wit that matched her love of thrill and sexual freedom. So she was very much out in the world with everything Mm -hmm. that she was. So she would go on to court throughout her life, all manner of distinguished ladies and gentlemen. So she was 100% bisexual and 100% not ashamed of it. I love that. So she would go on to court uh, women such as Tallulah Bankhead. Um, I covered her. Yep. And men such as Randolph Churchill, who is the son of Winston Churchill. Oh, damn. Yeah. She would also take on other paramours, such as newspaper magnate Lord Beaverbrook and eventually <laughs> his son, because Lord Beaverbrook was 30 years his, her senior, and then eventually she like <laughs> fell for his son. It's a whole thing. Was his name Woodchuck Brook? No, it was Max. <laughs> Son, you, no, shouldn't, Maximilian or son you shouldn't have
0: to grow up with an idiot name like Beaver. I'm yeah. going to name you Maximilian.
1: <laughs> um, she was also rumored to later have had a dalliance with the son-in-law of Mussolini as well. Oh, fuck. But so that's one of those things that's like, he, no one really knows. Yeah. You and probably want to keep that one under your under your hat. <laughs> right. So even when she was with multiple people like throughout her life, she never got married and she, some of these relationships actually lasted quite a while, um, like when she was with um, Max Beaverbrook. They were together for four years, but they never married, according to his dad. So his dad said that apparently sh- he offered Max and Toto um, lifelong pensions to basically not get married. I think it was kind of a... Like, uh, hey, it would be, you know, because I dated her, it would be really embarrassing if you guys got married. Like, please don't get married. I'll give you money. <laughs> oh, my God. I need to
0: I need to get myself into one of those situations where someone will literally pay me not to date their, their kid. Right. I will take that in a heartbeat.
1: It wasn't necessarily not to date. It was not to get married. Well, but same that's thing. even better, though. Oh, yeah. No. And Toto was totally fine with it. She wasn't really the marrying kind. Like, she did at one point call Max the love of her life, but... She also didn't necessarily want to settle down. Well, and the thing is,
0: marriage is a choice that's up for every adult to make. It doesn't validate or invalidate your romantic relationship with someone to get married or to not get married. It's an institution. There are some benefits. There are some drawbacks. And it's really just about your choice.
1: Exactly. But so she, she enjoyed spending that pension. You know, it was a nice, you know, I don't have to spend my own money. I can spend someone else's. Can I
0: just say, I love that she never wanted to get married in the first place. And Beaver Sr. is like, I will pay you not to get married. She's like, oh, God, yeah, because I was, we were getting ready to get married. Totes, 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 totes. Give me that money.
1: <laughs> like- right. So it was about this time when Toto was traveling a lot for various purposes, mainly modeling, that she really started kind of picking up on what was going on in the world. Um, so during one of her trips to Rome, Toto learned that Mussolini was planning to invade Ethiopia using poisonous gases which he did several months after. Um, and then she was staying with Chanel at the Ritz, and she learned that the Duke and Duchess of Windsor were planning to go to Germany to try and work out a peace agreement with Hitler. Also happened.
0: Didn't work. Is that um the guy who got ousted from being king and then his stuttering brother had to come into power? Question
1: mark. No, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, like right now, that's Kate Middleton. And right. So at this time... Was king during world war ii See, there, there
0: were two because there was the original one so the, he was a nazi would, sympathizer yeah so this
1: is probably the brother that ended up becoming king that went to stutterer to Taylor, i think so because okay. he would have been the duke and duchess of win or the duke of windsor at the time before he took the king okay i don't know i don't know royal succession very well i just know who it is right now yep <laughs> and that's because tlc made a really big deal about it yeah. exactly so the person that wrote Toto and Coco, which looks like an interesting book, and I totally have it on my, like, list now, even though, yeah, Coco Chanel kind
0: of like, I'm like, hmm. Well, uh, here's the thing. Reading about terrible people is actually a lot of fun. That's why I read about right. murderers.
1: Um. So the person that wrote that book is called Alan Frame, and he he went on to say about Toto, quote, she had great powers of observation and a great memory. It also helped that she was a very attractive woman and throughout the war she said to have gone on seducing a great many people like not just for fun anymore because apparently she would go on to seduce german intelligence officers gestapo officers and then allegedly mussolini's son oh okay so she was like gathering yeah she was gathering intelligence for um the allies she's doing the honeypot red sparrow bit exactly but she's doing it like in the fancy way where she's like you know living out of hotels and Still living the high life. Yeah, yeah. That would change, however, in 1939 when she was visiting friends in Florence and would fall for a leader of the Italian resistance. So she had a lot of high society... Sorry. She had a lot of high society society connections, obviously, and she would actually go on to sell a lot of her like furs and jewels to back her lover's anti-fascist agenda. So she's pumping a lot of money for this. And she started really becoming like a spy for his group. And she actually went on to say, I thought I could join for a while and then report back from a hotel. But once I was in, I became totally immersed. She actually ended up living in caves and subsisting on foraged squirrels. And she said, quote, I think I miss not going to the hairdresser most. I also miss the privacy. There certainly wasn't much of that living from place to place with so many men.
0: Well, that is a complete 180.
1: Oh, yeah. I love she's
0: like, Yeah, I was still going to be like a glam part time. And, and then, it, and then she happen. was like,
1: No, I want to fucking do this. Right. So she's getting like super into it. Like I said, she's, you know, using her wit and her knowledge because she speaks, you know, six different languages and she's using all this to help gather intel. She's sleeping with people to help gather intel. She would go on to. Help blow up enemy supplies and connected the Jewish people and escape detainees to the networks to try and get them, you know, out of the country and out of jail and stuff. She also spent bouts in and out of jail because the Italian police eventually caught her. So they first sent her to remote prisons and detention camps, um, all of which she successfully escaped from. Oh my God. Right. So after her, one of her escapes, she went and was living in the mountains in Perugia in Italy. And this was one of the times that she was helping other detention camp escapees find asylum. And then eventually because of that, they, they, you know, they caught her and they would capture her again. However, she was able to escape again This is probably one of my favorite stories. This time she made her way to a luxurious Denali hotel in Venice where she decided to hide in plain sight. And I love this because I'm like, how did they not know who she was? So she met up with like a friend that was an aristocrat. And she was like, you know, you know, it's Venice. So they're going to be coming to invade Venice. Like, let's try and like do what we can. So this friend of hers threw this absolutely like, elegant dinner because this hotel was going to be raided by the German forces because they knew someone they were looking for was there. Mm -hmm. So this friend threw like an absolutely elegant like beautiful dinner and actually sat the German general next to Toto. So it says this is the Daily Beast which is like an, an article or a newspaper in 2013 wrote Quote, in a brazen gambit, the Aristocat threw an opulent dinner for the German general in charge of the operation and seated him next to Toto. Dressed to the nines and flirtatious as ever, Toto was so conspicuous that it never occurred to the Germans to suspect her. Because it was is... like, she's, she's out in public. It's obviously not her.
0: Okay, first of all, you said Aristocat, and now I'm just <laughs> imagining Toto as Duchess from that movie. Uh, which what also, happens when fits. I drink. <laughs> but, uh, that is, that is crazy. It's kind of like one of those things where you think you see a famous person you're like, there's no way that me, a commoner is seeing someone that famous, right? Like, I could probably see Tom Hanks at the airport and be like, there's no fucking way that's right. actually And Tom yeah, Hanks. So basically
1: this guy's just like, they wouldn't put the person I'm looking for right in front of me. You know
0: what? It, it probably also helps that not all the blood was going to his brain oh, at 100%. the time. <laughs>
1: Um, unfortunately, like so, that ruse worked, but unfortunately, she would get caught again, helping the resistance in 1944, and this time she would be imprisoned in the Ravensbruck concentration camp. Oh no!
0: Um,
1: and obviously, that's a lot more difficult to get out of. We've mentioned it several times because raise, raise da, da, da. We've mentioned it several times because Ravensbruck is one of the, I don't know if it's one of the few, but it's one of the primarily female concentration camps. And just a little background, I know I've given some in other episodes, but. From the time it opened in 1938 to the time it was shut down in 1945, approximately 132,000 female prisoners would pass through its gate and about 90,000 of them would die. Toto was not one of them. Thank God. Thank God. Um, She survived the camp on her wits uh, because she, right away when she got there, she lied to the guards in German because she spoke German, told them that she was a trained nurse and that she could help around the camp. Not like... To be bad to the other prisoners, but just like so they didn't immediately kill her kind of thing. Right, right. Well, not only is she in the resistance, she's openly bisexual. She's biracial. Like she did. Like she checked a lot of go to the gas chamber check boxes. Yeah,
0: yeah. They they had a lot of shitty reasons
1: to be like we don't like you, right? So she's like, I'm gonna make myself useful so they don't murder me. Yeah. So yeah, they put her to work at the camp's infirmary. And her being her, she would often sneak food to the hospitalized, like the people that she was caring for, in an attempt to help them get better. Another thing that could have easily cost her her life. Luckily, she wasn't caught. So I I had never read this before until this time. But something interesting about Ravensbrück was apparently it wasn't, like, liberated all at once. I mean, it was liberated when the war ended and, like, the troops came through. But apparently before that, some of the camp was liberated when the Swedish Red Cross is... Like vice president convinced the non- Nazi commander in charge of Ravensbrück to release 7,500 women. I think I actually mentioned this in my last story. Oh, I don't remember this at all. But so they released 7,500 women, and Toto was one of them. She was even skinnier than she was before her head was shaved. And unfortunately, her body was ravaged from medical experimentation. She had a lot of different things done to her, including chemical castration. Oh, no. Yeah, she, it was bad. Oh, my God. So, with the help of former lovers, such as Randolph Churchill and Lord Beaverbrook, as well as Lord Beaverbrook. (laughs) No, as well as Beaverbrook or Lord Beaverbrook. I, I, it doesn't say which one it was. It was really nice. They got her a wig because, you know, I'm sure she was kind of self-conscious about that. But they also like kind of set her up and kind of got. They helped her recover. To the extent that they could, you know, yeah. like that's something you're never going to recover from. Yeah, yeah. But they helped her to try to get exactly. back on her feet. They, and they got her to the point where she was able to to settle in Ascana, which is um, in Switzerland. And they settled her on a nice little lake. And, you know, like kind of gave her a place to recuperate. And it was there in 1945 that she would meet Erica Bronson, who had also been involved in the same resistance that she was in. So they like kind of knew each other, but like they remet and they really hit it off. Erica was a galleryist, So she was looking to open her own gallery. So she met Toto and they really, they fell in love. They very quickly became A couple, and they ended up together opening the now-iconic Hanover Gallery in London. Oh, I have heard of that. It was mainly Erica, but, you know, Toto was kind of the background person, the woman behind the woman, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and this that gallery in particular is famous for becoming the first gallery to represent painter Francis Bacon. So that's pretty cool. So basically, how this went is... Erica was kind of the eye, like she knew the art. She was good with the artists where Toto was the connection person. Like she was the network. Exactly. Like she still knew all her connections and, you know, things were starting to get better after the war. She was like a living LinkedIn. Exactly. (laughs) So she was able to bring people in and together the gallery just absolutely hit it off. And they were able to like pull in bigger and bigger artists kind of a thing. So they would actually live together openly Even though, at the time, homosexual relationships were illegal in London, uh, they wouldn't become legalized until 1967, which is fine. No, it's not. (laughs) No, but, I mean, like, it's fine that they're doing it. Like, I think it's great. Um, No, no,
0: it it is. It's just, it's crazy to think that, like, 1967 is when it became legal to be in a same-sex relationship still. I, like... No, and here's the thing. I will be the first to say, you know, call out our own country's right. failings, but it's just, it it always puts in perspective to me to realize how recent some of these things have happened. And it's, it's oh, yeah. It's like, dude, we're still feeling the effects. But yeah, I, shit. I wasn't
1: saying that it's good that they, that it wasn't like, yeah, yeah. I was good that <laughs> they lived together. And it was interesting because, like, they never got, like, in trouble for it. Like, they were kind of viewed just as more of a curiosity than anything else. Yeah. Um, but Toto wasn't one to care much for what other people thought. We've seen that throughout her story. Um, and, and they, like they, so not only were they in a relationship together, but they also, um, it was a very open relationship and Toto continued taking other lovers. Um, but it was like, oh, it was kind of like they were the main commitment and then, you know, they had like side affairs, but it was all, but they were okay, all consenting and It it wasn't cheating, they had like talked about it. Exactly. It was an open relationship. Like they didn't really have like I'm sure they had problems. Every relationship has problems, but like that wasn't one of them. One of of them is always leaving the lights on.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. One of them always like puts their dirty dishes next
1: to the sink instead of in the sink.
0: God damn it.
1: That's funny. I do that. So in August of eighteen or in uh, August of nineteen ninety one, um, Toto died. I couldn't find how she died. It doesn't like say anywhere. I mean, we she were was, very briefly she was alive old. at the same time <laughs> as her, and that's insane to think about. Right, like she was old. She went through a lot of shit at the concentration camps, you know. And uh, eighteen months later, uh, uh, her lover Erica followed her Aww. in death. But obviously, like. They, they did a lot of good, you know, Toto helped the resistance quite a bit. And then, you know, they opened the Hanover gallery and that's still around, you know, and it just, it was very much, she kind of just flew in the face of the standards. Like, yeah, she was pretty and stuff, but she was also openly homosexual or openly bisexual and she didn't care. And unlike a lot of other women of the time when it was still very much Victorian value, she was like, no, I'm going to use my sexuality however the hell I want. I was going to
0: say the common thread throughout her story is defying expectations. She's, a wealth she's born to a wealthy aristocratic family and this is the way her life is supposed to go. And she's like, No, I'm gonna do something else. Oh, right. well, you know, you're this pretty, you know, starlit kind of woman. This is the way you should be. Nope, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna instead. join the French for yeah, and, and live in Living
1: Caves. And instead. I'm going to
0: you know, I'm going to be open about my sexuality at a time where it's not just frowned upon, it's straight up fucking illegal. Right. Like my existence is illegal. And still, like, people doubt bisexuality even exists, which right. is fucking stupid. stupid. So, I I like that she definitely did her own damn thing the entire time. Yeah,
1: I thought she was really cool. She was definitely a badass. Like, to go from being a model to like helping the resistance in World War II and like giving up like her basically her entire life to go like living caves to do right, it. Right, right. And it, cause it wasn't just like her, she was a part of it, it was a total 180 from her.
0: All of her pre- right, previous yeah. living experiences. Something I think is interesting, um, and I didn't I didn't mention it when you were telling the story, but you said that they shaved her head at Ravensbrook. And I know that's very you know, standard very operating common. procedure for concentration camps. But earlier you said that one of the things that she missed the most when she was part of the resistance was going to the hair salon. I know, and
1: then having her head shaved. And I'm just
0: imagining, like, it doesn't sound like her getting her head shaved was the worst thing that happened to her there, but just how dehumanizing that is. And yeah, taking care of yourself and your appearance and taking pride in that is so critical to our sense of humanity. And it like when you covered Madam C.J. Walker, You know, empowering black women to engage in a beauty regimen and to take care of themselves and indulge in their personal appearance versus just being like, I'm going to tie a bandana around my head because I just need to survive this day and the next day and the next.
1: Well, and I think like her former lovers must have known that considering like one of the things I read and like all the different sources were, yeah, that they yes, they helped her settle, but they also like got her some wigs and they got, you know, yeah, like they're, they're trying they got to give her, some her back kind
0: for of, humanity. Exactly. I don't know. It was just, I think that struck me because she had previously said not being exactly. able to get her hair done kind of sucked. And then that was even taken away from her. And I
1: know it's so sad. And
0: obviously being, you know, castrated in a well, concentration and other camp.
1: medical yeah you know. like
0: can't even begin to imagine but it's just it's just another one of those things
1: that the nazis did
0: to take away people's humanity
1: well and i just think it's so amazing that she had all this stuff done to her but she was still like sneaking food to other people in the hospital right. and like helping people even at like the risk of her own life
0: yeah God gave her the sass to tell the haters to go to hell, man. Right. And she's (laughs) like, like, fuck yeah, I'm going to own this sass. Right. Oh, that's, I I got some like Josephine Baker vibes off of that. You know, like the the performer turned spy during World War II. That was a really compelling story. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah. And thank you, Beth, for sharing that with me because she's part of the LGBTQ plus community. And yeah, so I, I had asked her at the beginning of this, like, you know, do you have any, you know, I was like, "You're part of the community," and I was like, "I, I even told her, I'm like, do I'm not, any, I'm like, not trying, models? yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm not trying to be offensive or anything like that, but you know, like, yeah, we're covering, you know, LGBTQ plus people, and like, yeah, do you have people that I may not have heard of because they're not as mainstream? And this was one of them, and I was just like, she's like, she's kick ass, and so I looked her up, and I'm like, yep, that one's getting covered. Oh my god, I love it. And of course, you mentioned like Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson. Yeah, like, we've already covered them. Oh yeah, <laughs> but also super badass. Oh yes. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, so we are
0: kind of on the same wavelength because I'm also covering a bisexual woman today. Ooh. So today I'm covering Brenda Howard, who has been giving, given the nickname the Mother of Pride. Ooh. And we're going to kind of talk about that because I I get it, but i, I'm I also... I feel like
1: we've talked about that with Marsha P. Johnson yeah, and Sylvia Rivera as well
0: before. We're, we're going to get into it, but uh, definitely interesting story. So Brenda Howard was a Christmas Eve... Baby born on December 24th, 1946, in the Bronx, New York. Although her parents probably other didn't... other side of the world, yeah. Uh, her parents probably didn't think of her as a Christmas Eve baby though, because they were Jewish, mm, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they were just like, okay, another baby. You know what? The, the, I wonder, does, does December 24th ever fall around Hanukkah? Because I, I know that the eight days of Hanukkah change.
1: I think they're usually in December, though. Oh
0: no, they they're always in December, but like, like the starting date and the end date change. It's like Christmas is always December twenty fifth, regardless
1: of the day of the week. But I, I, I was a I was the treasurer so, of the
0: Jewish Stuart organization. What the fuck is
1: wrong with me? Like this year, it's November twenty eighth to December sixth. Okay, I don't know. I was just wondering. I was like, maybe she was a Hanukkah baby. That'd be it, cool. Maybe.
0: She was she was like the gift on the sixth day of Hanukkah or something. So I couldn't really find a ton out about her childhood or upbringing because her story primarily starts in the 1960s. So I assume she was a child and then she became an adult, as most of us do. So the United States was embroiled in the Vietnam War. Ever heard of it? And while the war started with overwhelming public support, a combination of graphic televised news reports and a rising death toll turned the tides. So we were super into the Vietnam War at the beginning. We were very gung-ho. My mother actually, she was a child at the time, and they were doing a debate exercise in school, and the teacher decided that the debate would be the pro and cons of the Vietnam War. And I can't remember if my mother chose it or was assigned it, but she was assigned... The con. And this was at a time where everyone was like. Very pro. And she got like. Eviscerated. Her her classmates were assholes. And like granted my mom got picked on as a kid. She was not like the most popular child. So
1: I'm like what is this teacher doing? (laughs) Like read the room bitch. So Hanukkah can definitely fall on Christmas Eve. Okay cool.
0: I'm going to say she's a Hanukkah baby. So anyway back to the Vietnam War. So anti-war demonstrations were happening all across the nation as citizens, particularly students, decried the ongoing conflict. They were not... I mean, I'm sure there was some description, but they were decrying it in a very descriptive manner. Yes. So Brenda was fiercely anti-war and joined the movement. She lived in an urban commune that was compromised of other anti-war activists and draft resistors in Brooklyn, New York. So she was like in it. She wasn't just like... Not that this is, you know, diminishes effort, but she wasn't just showing up for a protest and going home. She's like, this is my life. I'm living this shit. Yeah,
1: it's kind of like how Toto was like, no, I'm going to go all out and live in the caves. (laughs) So one of the areas of the military
0: and war, which Brenda was critical of, was how it was so male-dominated. This led her to also become involved in the feminist movement because all of these issues are interconnected. Nothing is on its own. So Brenda Howard was a very out there woman for her time, if her living in an anti-war commune didn't tip you off to that fact. She was unapologetically bisexual, sex positive, polyamorous, fe- and feminist. Like, Yeah, that sounds
1: very much like Toto.
0: Yeah. So she was known to wear a button that read, quote, buy Polly Switch, I oh. know what I want. And I'm like, yes, girl. <laughs> that was her tinder profile like i know what i want so she was basically everything that makes traditional extremists like clutch their pearls and i love it clutch those pearls until they make your hands bleed yeah so as we've discussed before the stonewall uprising was the birth of the modern gay rights movement and actually if you want to know more about the stonewall uprising you can Jordan subscribe patreon. to our patreon for as little as one dollar a month because that was our bonus topic this month that kelly so wonderfully covered
1: yeah i
0: do get into it a little bit here because our regular non-patron listeners deserve to understand the stonewall uprising and what that was all about just not as in depth um also we've discussed it in episode 13 when we covered marsha p johnson Sylvia rivera but that's been a while. This is 110 episodes. Oh my God. So here's a little recap. The Stonewall Inn was a bar in Greenwich Village, New York, that catered to the LGBTQ plus community, particularly members of the community that were even more on the outskirts that like all the, they were like on the outskirts of the LGBTQ plus community because they were like people of color, trans people, that poor people, drag queens, sex workers, all that. So, At this time, it was illegal for bars to sell to queer people. (gasps) God damn it. Like, taking away their rights, taking away their booze, fucking monsters. So it was owned by the mafia, who kind of didn't give a fuck and would pay off the cops to, like, stay in business. Um, It's sad because this is like, this was like a safe space. But it was not even safe because the mafia, like Kelly talks about, and seriously join our Patreon, uh, the mafia would blackmail their wealthier patrons to be like, hey, I'm not going to out you if you give me money. So the safest space for these people was still not safe at all. Yeah. But the Stonewall Inn was one of the few places that LGBTQ plus individuals could exist openly and without fear of being outed to their friends and family or work, who could totally fire them unless you were super rich, and then the mafia would or totally you know, out go you. To
1: jail. Or- yeah,
0: like it was, it was a safer space versus being a straight up safe space. But that didn't mean that the Stonewall Inn was some paradise. Uh, Despite the mafia paying off the cops, the bar was still frequently raided and the patrons were often victims of police brutality and even sexual assault as the cops would try to determine patrons' sex based on their genitals. So they'd be like, go in the bathroom and take your pants off. Like, that is horrifying. So on the night of... June 28th, 1969, the police raided the Stonewall Inn, but the LGBTQ plus community had had it and they fought back, resulting in, was it like five days of protests? This event galvanized the LGBTQ plus community who came out in full force to fight for their yeah, rights. they did. Including Brenda Howard. So while she was not at the Stonewall Inn on the night of June 28th she was friends with a lot of those who were there and I couldn't find if she participated in the ensuing protests at all but it definitely seems like her scene oh yeah at the very least she was supportive of it what Brenda did do was organize a a one-month Stonewall anniversary rally in New York City in July of 1969 so just a month I always imagine the first celebrations coming a year after Stonewall but like shortly after they're like we need to keep this momentum going we can't let this be like a flash in the pan moment we need to keep this so she knew they couldn't lose the momentum that the stonewall uprising had started and then just a year later brenda assembled a committee to plan what would be the first organized gay pride parade and gay pride week then called the christopher street liberation day parade after the street where the stonewall inn sits and I say first organized pride parade because the Stonewall Uprising is often credited with being the first like pride or the first pride event. So I want to distinguish the two. Yes, You know, th- this is like the first like organized parade event. <laughs> Actually planned. Versus <laughs> stop trying to fucking kill us, you assholes. Yeah. So Brenda and the committee met at the Oscar Wilde Memorial Bookshop which had the distinction of being the first gay and lesbian bookstore in the United Yay. States. It's also named after noble author and gay man, Oscar Wilde. If you didn't know. And this bookshop was also located on Christopher Street. So I'm like, Christopher Street's got it going on. Yeah, they do. So together they planned not only a parade, but a week's worth of pride events. And there was a big emphasis on education and supporting the community. Cause it's like, hey, we're here and let's dispel some of these myths and preconceptions about the LGBTQ plus community, but let's also like celebrate us because we're fucking awesome. Fuck yeah. And we refuse to be silenced by you fucking assholes. So they used the bookstore's mailing list to spread the word about the parade. And one of the committee members, L. Craig Schoonmaker, Schoonmaker, whatever, it's fine. L. Craig. Shoe. L. Craig Shoe. Uh, So he suggested using the word pride for the event. And he recalled, quote, a lot of people were very repressed. They were conflicted internally and didn't know how to come out and be proud. That's how the movement was most useful, because they thought, maybe I should be proud. So remember, next time... Your dumb friend is like, why isn't there a straight pride pre Because no one's telling you you're not allowed to be straight. It's not illegal to be straight. Right. It's never been illegal to be straight. People generally aren't ashamed to no be straight. No one has been castrated for being straight. Yeah. Shut up. Like, honestly, I wish we didn't need pride. That would be great, but we do because this shit's still. Sorry, I'm getting.
1: Yeah, we could rant about this
0: for the entire hour. I get so angry. So anyway, the parade route started in Greenwich Village and traveled 51 blocks to Central Park. The parade started at 2 p.m., which was a pretty with a pretty sparse audience. Like, every- it's kind of like those middle school dances where like no one wants to be the first to like. Yeah, so there's like ten on the people. Dance yeah, everyone's, everyone's like on either the side. Outside. It's like, yeah. Oh, I don't know. So it seemed like there was some trepidation, but soon people began showing up in droves, growing to a group of thousands, twenty blocks long. Yeah, like one person was brave enough to like break the ice and start the march. And everyone was like, I feel safe. Let's do this. And they're all grinding and they're doing like their little cabbage patch and the running man and all their embarrassing dance moves. And it's fine. <laughs> so her leadership in organizing the Pride Parade earned Brenda the moniker Mother of Pride. Bisexual activist Tom Limoncelli said, quote, the next time someone asks you why LGBT Pride marches exist or why LGBT... Excuse me. Struggling Dys- over there? Dyslexia is not my friend. Mm-hmm. LGBT Pride Month is June. Tell them Tell them a bisexual woman named Brenda Howard thought it should be. Now, before I continue this, it is very important to recognize the warts and the failings of the early gay liberation movement. And even of everyone. I really hesitate including tom's quote in there because i personally don't entirely agree with it i like obviously i'm covering brenda and i want to acknowledge her successes and her contributions to the gay lib movement And like she's the one that was like let's organize a a pride parade every year let's do that and that's fantastic but it's not without being problematic Mm. so as we've discussed in the past trans women of color were often excluded from the larger movement despite it being a lot of trans women of color who started the Stonewall uprising because they were excluded from all, like, other LGBTQ plus spaces. They had to fight to have the tea, you guys. And this was because the strategy at the time was to convince straight people that gay people were just like them. It's normal. We're normal and vanilla, and it's totally fine. Like, you can't even tell we're gay. Like, we're just so...
1: We're just like you.
0: Yeah, and here's the thing. Everyone should be equal regardless of their representation, whether they're flamboyant, whether they're more melt-like. It's about granting people human dignity for the simple fact that they are humans. Not because, well, you're a human that acts or looks a certain way that I can personally accept and isn't threatening my ideas or my way of life. Exactly. However, uh, when men and women who didn't conform or were flamboyant showed up to events, it hurt this argument. I don't think it hurt the movement. I think the movement was using the wrong strategy entirely. Part of me understands why they were doing that. It's this whole, like, it it almost reminds me of the colorblind strategy. Like, I don't see color. It's like, no, it's okay to see color. Just don't be a dick because of someone's, like, skin color.
1: Exactly.
0: So during the first Pride Parade, trans members of the community were discouraged from participating. Stonewall participants, LGBTQ activists, and trans women of color, Sylvia Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson, who we covered in episode 13, protested this bullshit by marching in front of the parade. They were like, haha, we're not in the parade. We're just marching in front of it. And I'm like... That is like the Morton Salt Girl level of sass that I hope to achieve one day.
1: Right. It's we support what your we support your cause, but we don't support the fact that you're leaving us out of it.
0: Exactly. Like we were fucking there. We were at Stonewall and you're telling us this isn't ours. Like we can't be here. And honestly, God gave them the sass to tell the haters to go to hell, and I love it. Just a few years later, in 1973, Sylvia Rivera was allowed to go to the Pride Parade, but she was barred from speaking. She grabbed, so she
1: did so anyway, but
0: she was like, fuck that shit. God's granting me the sass to tell you to go fuck yourself. So she grabs the microphone and shouts. If it wasn't for the drag queen, there would be no gay liberation movement. We're the front liners and like literally mic drop yeah, and, and walk away. Yeah. But this was like a really horrible time for Sylvia. And cause she was subsequently booed off the stage and she later attempted suicide. Uh, Thankfully, Marsha P. Johnson saved her life, and uh, so she didn't die. She'll never die because she's in our hearts. (laughs) I was like, like, uh. so I couldn't find information on Brenda, like, specifically contributing to this toxicity, but... As, the or, as one of the primary organizers, like like having the to. moniker Mother of Pride, she definitely holds responsibility for this discrimination. Right. A hundred percent. And I didn't want to tell the story without acknowledging the shortcomings of the early gay live movement that she was a part of, particularly what is now so synonymous with Pride Month, the gay pride parade being exclusionary to people who started the modern gay liberation
1: movement. Yeah. It's bad. Center, center, okay. We get angry about this quite, almost every year about this time. Oh yeah, this
0: is this is like my rage, rage, fucking rage. I know, it's
1: because it's, cause it's so, so much
0: bullshit. It is. And here's the thing, this isn't the like, I'm going to talk about Brenda and then shit on her, because she did do good things, right. but it would be irresponsible of me not to acknowledge right. that harm, so... Brenda continued advocating for marginalized communities during the Gay Liberation Front, and she also acted as chair of the Gay Activist Alliance Speakers Bureau. Brenda's partner, Larry Nelson, later said, quote, she was an in-your-face activist. She fought for anyone who had their rights trampled on. In the 80s, when the U.S. government was busy ignoring HIV and AIDS, (laughs) (laughs) remember that? That killed Tons and tons of people. And the government was like, yeah, but we don't care about those people. It's fine. Yeah. That's why Magic Johnson coming out as being HIV positive was such a big deal. It's like, but wait, you're so
1: masculine and not gay. And then that's when they were like, oh, maybe we should do something about this. we should
0: care. Anyway, so while this was happening, Brenda was holding demonstrations to advocate for national health care and for women, people of color, and those living with HIV and AIDS. Good. During one such demonstration in Chicago, 1988, she was actually arrested. And this would not certainly be her last arrest, as she was also arrested in 1991 for protesting the Georgia State Attorney General's office, (laughs) who uh, decided to fire a woman for being a lesbian, which at the time, legal, totally legal, bullshit, which is why legality does not mean right or morality. Legality does not equal morality. Anyway, Brenda was there with a friend, Marla Stevens, as part of ACT UP, which stands for AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. Um, And this this organization works to put an end to HIV and AIDS. So when they were thrown in jail, they spent their time, as Marla recalls, Reading steamy novels aloud to the assembled girls and being as much of a pain in the rear as possible so they'd not want to hold us any longer than absolutely necessary. That's
1: fantastic. They
0: annoyed themselves out of jail. They were so offensive to the prudish cops by reading steamy romance novels that the cops were like,
1: get the fuck out. Women having sexual freedom? What? What? No. You're making me feel really weird about my
0: boner right now. Women reading
1: erotica and watching porn? That doesn't happen. That's so
0: gross. My boner, it feels conflicted. I don't (laughs) like this feeling. So in 1988, Brenda confounded, sorry, confounded, co-founded. She confused someone? She she co-founded the Confounded New York Area Bisexual Network.
1: Nice.
0: Or the NYABN. Nyabin.
1: Nyabin. Nyabin.
0: Uh, And this still exists today and supports bisexual and bi-friendly groups in New York City and the tri-state area.
1: Yeah. I love when we, like, talk about things that are awesome, then we're
0: like, they're still here. Right? That's always cool. Bisexual activist Tom Limoncelli... Like hey, I mentioned before, <laughs> he wrote, quote, "For decades she was the voice on the NYABN recorded message that would tell by people in New York City where events were happening. She returned thousands of messages left on the line. Aww. So she she didn't just like found that she was like active running it, yeah. yeah. And so people would call him being like, "Hey, is there an event? Where can I feel safe? I need help." And she's calling people back and being like, "Here, let me tell you." That's great. So now, remember when I was talking about people being excluded in the early gay rights movement? Mm-hmm. Bisexuals were and still are not always welcome in the community. One of the prevailing myths is that bisexuality is just a way station for closeted gay people to ease into coming out as homosexual, or that bisexuals are indivi- indecisive. Excuse yeah. me. Indecisive. Indecisive. What? Uh, or have insatiable sexual appetite. So it's basically like, oh, you'll just fuck anything with legs and a set of genitals, right?
1: Like, it, it you're not actually bisexual. You just want to have sex. You're just
0: like a crazy slut, or well, you're just not comfortable with being gay. So you think bisexual is like the the lukewarm area between right. gay and straight. This is not fucking
1: true. Like that's not a thing, guys. You're None being of just it. as bad as straight people used to be when they used to say. Being gay wasn't a thing. Used to be. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Now it's the minority of straight people that are like that.
0: Yeah. And then the others are just like, no, we it's a, it's a thing and we hate it.
1: I don't know. I'm a straight person. I'm like, no,
0: be gay. Yeah.
1: No. Be whatever the fuck you want to be. I should
0: say critics. There you go. Slash assholes. It depends
1: on what company I'm in. Asshole-y-o. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead. I'm like never actually seen that show i just know that that's a thing
0: oh so bi erasure is still an issue today and terrible it is so bisexuals in straight passing relationships often have their sexuality ignored or rewritten to be heterosexual some great examples of this are channing tatum who is bisexual i did not know that anna paquin bisexual
1: but she married a man, so she's often oh, just referred to as being I was gonna straight. Say, that's even worse. Is when you're a bisexual and you marry someone of the opposite of the opposite, sex. opposite gender, then they're like, "See, you weren't really bisexual."
0: Yeah, well, and that's why I said bisexuals in straight passing relationships, yeah, where it's, it's like, terrible. it doesn't make you less bi to be with someone of the opposite sex. That's part that's of the, the point. definition. <laughs> like, um, Billie Holiday. Also, we covered her on Ear Floss. Go mm. check it out, Miss Music History Podcast. I had no idea she was bisexual. I actually had to dig for that information.
1: Who was it? Eleanor Roosevelt.
0: Eleanor Roosevelt bisexual. I had to like think about that. Yep. Like,
1: I'm going to say the wrong person. There,
0: there. I mean, there are uh, Lady Gaga is another one. Like there are so. Oh, um, Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. Interesting. In his case, he's often referred to as it's being gay, but he was bi and the thing is i know not everyone is into labels and that is fine that's a personal choice but this idea of erasing by people where you can only be straight or gay is harmful and acknowledging Bisexual people and even pansexual people, people who don't fall into just, I only like this or I'm only into this. Right. It's harmful and it's important to. Well, I mean, you have the other people
1: too, because like you have the people that are just non binary, that they're like, Mm. I don't view myself as a man or woman, or I view myself as both. And they they have the same problem that people are like, well, you just you don't want to pick a side or you don't, you know,
0: or uh, even people who are gender fluid where one day maybe they're they represent as Mm -hmm. a woman and the next day they represent as a man.
1: It's basically whatever people don't understand. They're just like, no, it's not a thing.
0: Well, and I not to excuse any of this. I think it's natural for us to like to put people into easy to understand boxes, because then I get to learn one fact about you. I get to make a judgment and then that is my whole vision of you and I get to feel good about the way I feel. For example, if I thought people with tattoos were trashy, I would see your tattoo and be like, well, I know everything I need to know about that dirty little slut. Well, and that that used to be a thing. Yeah.
1: Like tattoos were viewed as like, if you have a tattoo, you're a criminal. Yeah. Now you're just (laughs) basic. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not. But,
0: you know, it's one of those things, it's, it's a very comforting place for us to just be able to make snap judgments about people yes. without actually getting to know them. The thing is, people are complex, and it's not fair. So, bi erasure happens in history, academia, news media, and even within the LGBTQ community itself. The gay live movement at the time was very focused on gay men and lesbians, and as we know, white gay men and lesbians who were like middle class, upper middle class, more yep. privileged. So Brenda, a bold bisexual, wasn't about to be left out. She's like, Mm-mm, you're not gonna leave me out of this shit. not allowed. So on April 25th, 1993, the LGBTQ community marched on Washington. There had been two previous marches, but they had previously been called the National March on Washington for Gay and Lesbian Rights. Mm -hmm. Notice the title and how it's very definitive in whose rights we're talking about. Brenda successfully lobbied organizers to include bisexuals in the title and the March on Washington for Lesbian, Gay, and Bi Equal Rights and Liberation took place (laughs) and we've gotten to the lgb part of history yep yep. and then we will get to the tq but it's kind of one of those things where every now and then i'm like i wish there was like a more succinct way to describe the lgbtq community because as someone who struggles with using my mouth (laughs) i'm like oh sometimes it's a little hard to pronounce quickly but at the same time these letters are very representative of communities that have long been
1: Marginalized. Exclude it and yeah. marginalize
0: exactly and even just getting the B the T the Q is really important that representation is very important so this march took place with an estimated 1 million participants <laughs> Dr. Evil Pinky to the corner of my mouth you damn right I did it. So Brenda was also very sex positive and co-chaired the leather contingent of the second national march on Washington in 1987. So she was like leading the leather daddies and mommies, and I love it. Brenda spent her life advocating for women, people of color, and the LGBTQ community, so it might seem fitting... That she died on June twenty-eighth, two thousand five, during New York City's Pride Week Aww. and on the thirty-sixth anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. Wow. That just like that gives me chills. That's spooky when that kind of shit happens. Right. Brenda's partner at the time of her death, Larry Nelson, made a video in tribute to her in 2015. And in it he said, quote, I know if she was alive, she would be here holding a sign saying I'm hashtag still bisexual, Aww. so I will hold up one for her. And I, uh, sorry, just let me finish this quote. Oh, no, never mind. That was the end of the quote. <laughs> <laughs> he says something else later. But I believe I read that Larry is straight. So, again, like, you can be straight and be in a yeah. relationship with a bisexual person. And 100% person, support And them. that's also valid. He also said that Brenda and those like her know themselves better than anyone else, and that their sexuality should be seen as legitimate. And this was a part of the hashtag Still. Right, Larry, honey. You got it together. So this was a part of the hashtag StillBisexual campaign for celebrate bisexuality day, which is September 23rd. So mark your calendars. Legacy. In 2005, the same year she passed away, the New York branch of PFLAG, which I believe that was like parents and families.
1: We like just talked about this. I
0: know we did it in the Stonewall bonus episode, but it's like parents and families loving the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, so they initiated an award, uh, the Brenda Howard Memorial Award, which recognizes individuals or organizations that exemplify Brenda's vision. And this was the first award given by a major U.S. LGBTQ plus organization named after an out bisexual Aww. person.
1: So PFLAG is Parents, Families, and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. I love it. But they do support yeah everyone. So like if you read their mission statement, it... it now says um it's an organization uniting parents families and allies with people who are lesbian gay bisexuals transgender and queer it makes me so think they I'm, do include everyone yes. but they were like we're not gonna upgrade it. we're not gonna update our acronym because well, it would be it, they they very have a large. brand
0: well they they have a brand like I know I know P, I hear P Flag yep. and I immediately know who they are. Not what their name stands for obviously but I know their deal. So in 2013, Brenda was named by Equality Forum as one of their 31 icons for the uh, for LGBTQ Plus History Month. In 2014, the Trevor Project chose her as one of their role models for their celebration of Women's History Month.
1: Aww. Which I
0: love that because the Trevor Project is a nonprofit that supports the LGBTQ Plus community. I think primarily also youth who are struggling because maybe yep. their families are not supportive or they become homeless and that kind of thing. And so I love that they're having that intersectionality with it because women's history is gay history, is black history, is American history, is world history, is all history, you know? Right. So in 2000, uh, no, never mind, I already read that. You go, Trevor Project. So as recently as 2019, Brenda was one of the inaugural 50 American Quote, pioneers, trailblazers, and heroes inducted into the National LGBTQ Wall of Honor within the Stonewall National Monument Mm -hmm. in the Stonewall Inn. Because that shit is a monument now. So this is the first U.S. national monument dedicated to the LGBTQ, uh, sorry, to LGBTQ plus rights and history. Not to the community. I really hope not. That would be sad. Its unveiling took place on the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. I'm pretty sure we talked about it during our first year of podcasting, because that was during the 50th anniversary, and we were talking about the Stonewall Uprising a lot. <laughs> so finally, their tradition of Pride parades and Pride Week, and now Pride Month, has been birthed by the innovation and struggle of many. And today, we raise our glasses to one of them, Brenda Howard. The mother of pride. Cheers, Brenda. That's a good clink. That clink was loud and proud. Love it. All right. So, Kelly, what are you thankful for?
1: I'm... ah, No, I'm not going to say that one. I'll save that one for the next (laughs) next episode. Um, I'm thankful for... I'm going to say I'm Just it was a super chill week. Like, work's been really crazy lately, and this week really wasn't. Like, it was kind of a nice week to just catch up and, you know, like make sure, you know, I's are dotted and T's are crossed and, you know, like everything's correct because it's going to get crazy again next month. But I, so I'm just going to, I'm going to. Th- be thankful for, like, just kind of a chill, normal week. Having that some breathing insane. room. Yeah. yeah. How about you?
0: Um, I'm thankful because I feel like I'm kind of getting my shit together a little bit. Yeah. I've been doing, like, and not in, like, a super meaningful way, but... I've been getting a lot of outdoor projects done. So like I put together all my planters. I've decorated the backyard to make it look nicer. Um, I even, we've got this patio set. I've already shared this with Kelly. So she's like, Emily, it's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, no, it's a really big deal. (laughs) So we got this patio set from Jared's grandparents, like when we first bought the house and they were downsizing. And it's a great patio set, but has definitely seen a lot of wear and a lot of love and so the plastic white chairs are faded and so they look like really dirty even after i scrub them with a magic eraser the table is all like rusty and just it it doesn't look good so I repainted the chairs white and then I painted the table gold because I'm like getting real, real like nice. I'm getting some like Target Millennial vibes in here and it's amazing and it looks really good and I'm proud of myself for doing it and just I don't know like making it look good and I've been spending a lot more time out in the backyard like when I take the dogs out they'll be sitting there like we're ready to go in. and I'm like but mommy's not.
1: <laughs> I know I was out on my hammock the other day and that's the dogs were just like sitting by the door like. Can we go in? No, you fucking can't. You can join me on the hammock or sit there by yourself. Yeah,
0: but I I don't know. It's, It's nice because I feel like my house is feeling a little more put together, which is great because since we've been remodeling, it's just been in this constant state of, chaos
1: right Just, yeah, and then it helps you feel a little more put together yeah
0: it does like I put this uh wagon planter together in the front it's of beautiful. my house I'm very proud of it I'm so fucking proud of Emily's it Emily's
1: such an adult now I feel like such an adult it's I know I'm like even up doing stuff on our like social media and stuff and I'm over here like I have no time
0: <laughs> that's because you're doing the most adult thing in getting your fucking master's <laughs> degree like I
1: I, I adult. love adult
0: insane Kelly I love you so much but every time you come to me and you're like I'm feeling like a little self-conscious like I'm not I feel like I'm not doing great and I'm like Kelly you are getting literally getting. you are literally becoming a master of psychology shut up you're gonna be able to like move people with your mind like you're gonna be able to tell them like I know what your childhood trauma is from the way you sneeze like you are literally becoming magic and that is incredible and you're doing a podcast on top of all of it
1: I love you all too. of you.
0: But yeah. I don't know. It's, it's like my little ways of feeling good and put together. I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I still, I got some lights to hang up outside, so Ooh, I need to do that. Fancy. Yeah. It's like the one thing I, I haven't done yet because I, I got to dig out the ladder and then I got to climb up the ladder and I got to think like, oh man, like, Does Jared need to have 911 on speed dial for this? What if I fall and break my
1: neck? You're over here like, I need to put lights up. And I'm over here like, I should take my Christmas lights down. (laughs) I saw that when I pulled up. I was like, are those icicles in June?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it, though. I love it, though. It's Minnesota. Winter is technically never out of season because it can literally happen at any moment. (laughs) All right. Well, anyway. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstery. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Also, like us on all the social media. Follow us on Facebook,
1: Instagram, Twitter. Five-star review. I totally you that <laughs> ah, Bye. bye.